be seated. It is always a joy when Dave and Deborah Sommerdorf come here with us. I was trying to think, Brother Dave, I started going back faithfully to church and was in regular attendance in the early 2000s, much to my parents' chagrin. There was a couple years where I didn't. Thankfully, the Lord got a hold of my heart. Did you start going to the church in Virginia at Fairfax about that time? It was just a year later, probably. Okay, so I know I wasn't quite on staff when I first heard Brother Summerdorf preach. Came through with his rig, and man, I don't know how young all the kids were. I think Kimberly was still either in high school or in college. That's their oldest. Uh, she married one of my best friends in the whole world, their daughter did. Uh, she married Pierre Fesdection, a wonderful, wonderful family. And I could name all of their kids. I've known them for that long and f- that well. They're just a wonderful couple. Um, Dave is a Marine. Hoorah. And I was waiting for the rest of you jokers. I mean, you only do it on the Patriotic Sunday, so... Uh, he has for years, or had for years, the Marine Corvette, and that was the best titled thing ever. Um, for a while, it sat down at the uh, Corvette Museum down in Bowling Green. Is it still down there? No, it's not. Okay. But uh, it had a commemoration and memorial to uh, a tribute to the 9-11, those who died, and then all of their names were on the hood of it, and it would go around, and he would set it out for display, and it was a wonderful thing for him to reach souls for Jesus Christ because people would come, they would look, and they would ask questions, and he had information and pamphlets that he would hand out, a wonderful thing. When he started coming here and I planted the church, I think that might have been one of the biggest shocks to Brother Dave, that I was actually able to plant a church and pastor a church, a church that seems healthy and growing. That's a remarkable thing for him to see in a guy like me. But when he started preaching here, I realized that it was more than just his love for the military. It was his love for the Lord. When I knew him from afar as I watched him, I knew he preached well, but the man has a serious heart for seeing people saved. Uh, Yesterday and on Friday were disappointing days, I think, to you, discouraging days. They were somewhere between Marion, Virginia and Abingdon, Virginia, and their rig broke down. That's their house. That's where they live. How long, I'll ask Miss Deborah this, how, how many years have you lived in an RV? 23 years living on the road, and they've enjoyed every minute of it. They raised their children there, and when it breaks down, you have to leave your home. And we had them set up at the horse park, just where Miss Deborah wants. There's a spot that she asks for every time they come. We had that reserved. So the next time through, we'll make sure we get that one as well, again. But they worked, and they worked, and they worked on the rig. But the only thing I kept hearing in all the phone calls is, pray for this young man, Cody. This guy, Dakota, he's been working on my engine. The other guy that helped pick us up, he said he was a pastor for years, and he knows the Lord. But this guy, Cody, doesn't know the Lord. And the Lord knew what he was doing by making their rig break down for even longer because Cody had to spend a whole lot of time with Brother Summerdorf. <laughs> and I mean a whole lot of time. They're not done. And they're not done, right? Uh, Cody took the, uh, had his dad, who was a welder, come in and try to fix a part as, 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 because they couldn't get the part delivered in time. And so his dad got introduced to the Lord through Brother Dave, and the dad was so kind, he drove them from Glen Springs, Virginia, down to Greenville, Tennessee, to pick up the church van that he's driving now. Brother Dave was probably just talking the whole time about the Lord and the goodness of the Lord. 
Sometimes we look at difficulties in life and wonder why God did them. And then the other side of that, we could or should look at them and say, this is why God does them. It's so that we can make sure we further the gospel, even in the rotten, stinking days that end up. I, I told Jessica after the last phone call, Miss Deborah, I said, I think I've talked to Brother Dave more today than I have to you. I, I did talk to Jessica a lot yesterday, but we had a lot of phone calls yesterday. Brother, I think we're going to make it. It's 1230. Parts come in. I think we're going to make it. It's 230. I still think we're going to make it. I don't think it's going to be a problem. And then 4 o'clock came. Well, I don't know, but we're going to try one more thing. 6 o'clock came. I don't know if we're going to make it. It's going to be a problem. And I was dusting off a sermon. And he said, no, I'm not going to miss it. And sure enough, they got in about midnight last night here in town at the hotel that we got uh, arranged for. That, how many have been fighting the bicyclists this week? Or this weekend. Those bicyclists took all the hotel rooms, brother. You don't know. I barely, I barely, uh, I thought maybe they could have ridden you here, those bicyclists. But anyway, all that said, when there is that much headwind, it usually means that God's going to do a great work in the hearts of those who are here. And so as a pastor, I won't take this long to introduce him tonight or tomorrow night, but I wanted to this morning because if God is in this, the devil is going to be against this. And so if there's a meeting this morning, you should be at it, and you are. If there's a meeting tonight and you can be here, you should be. I know many of you have to work tomorrow night, but if you can set aside the time and you can be here, I promise your spiritual man will be encouraged. Brother Dave, come preach for us, my friend. Thank you, Pastor. And good morning, church family. Good to see you this morning. I would uh, say, if at all possible... Uh, come back tonight. I'm going to be sharing a message tonight that you'll probably use for the rest of your life. It will impact every home, especially homes with uh, teenagers. And I would just encourage you, don't miss tonight. And uh, we're going to start a series of thoughts this morning. Take your Bibles and go to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, thank you for your hospitality. The unbelievable amount of finances that you extended to us long before we came to take care of our travel expenses. I remember turning to Deb when the, when the money got deposited. I said, we, we don't need that much to get here. And then all this happened. And I said, that's exactly what we needed to get here. And uh, so the Lord knew in his providence what our needs are. But I want to remind you, he knows what your needs are as well. And I'm going to pray this week your spiritual needs are met. First Peter... Chapter 1, I want to begin reading in verse number 1. This is a very rich chapter in your Bible. Both of these epistles, the Spirit of God wrote through a man named Peter, are very rich. But chapter 1 in particular says this, in 1 Peter 1, 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through sanctification of the Spirit, unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, 
ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love. In whom though now you see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. I want to preach to you this morning with the Lord's help about the incorruptible salvation you and I enjoy through an unbelievable Savior whose name the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you this morning for this honor and privilege to be in your house, to be gathered with your people, to read your word, to be ministered to by your spirit. And Lord, thank you. We can call you our Father this morning. And we're grateful for the day our faith found a resting place, not in a system, but in a Savior, your Son the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray this morning for the one among us. They know all about Jesus Christ, but they don't know Him. They've never entered into that personal relationship and now have an incorruptible salvation through this wonderful Savior. May this morning be the morning they see who they really are and who you really are and who your Son is. And may their faith find a resting place in Christ alone. And then for each of us that are saved, In this affliction, this light affliction we call life, this life, turn our attention to heavenly things, the great incorruptible things we enjoy because of Jesus Christ and belonging to Him. And we ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Is this mic not working? Touching is falling apart, all right? So those of you that shook hands with me, <laughs> and I socialized with a bunch of you. One guy said to me, I said, do I know you? Have we met? He said, yes, sir. I know you, Brother Mike, I think. And then I said, and yet you came back. Amen. <laughs> I wonder if you've ever heard somebody say this, and maybe you've said this as well. Nothing lasts forever. I mean, we hear that all the time, and you and I need to recognize that by way of introduction, I want to say this, science today operates on that very assumption that everything in this universe is changing and decaying. We call this the law of entropy. Things just automatically go to randomness when left to themselves. And what's true of the universe in general is also true of you in particular. For the day that you're born, you begin to die. Your body begins to decay, decline, and go into corruption. I could say this, and it needs to be said, (laughs) that would be an absolutely depressing thought this morning if it were not for the glorious truth of the unchanging gospel and person of Jesus Christ. What is the setting of this epistle 
These strangers scattered throughout the Roman Empire. Well, Rome is on fire. Nero has lit the blaze himself and then found Christians to be the political scapegoat for what he did. And persecution has gone to a national level. These individuals are refugees. They've lost their homes. They have relatives that have lost their lives. All that they own is probably on a little bag on their back. And, and they, they literally have tasted this truth that nothing lasts forever. They literally have found the process of decay is accelerating. And everything they have is falling apart, decaying, or they're losing it completely. And in the midst of all of this, the Spirit of God turns the attention of these vagabond believers in the midst of decay to great incorruptibles in heaven. He turns their attention upwards. And I want you to take your pens, for he points out three things that will never fade for a believer. He points out three things that will never be lost or stolen. They'll never lose their value. I want you to circle these three verses in chapter 1. The first incorruptible he points him to is found in verse number 4. It's an incorruptible inheritance. The second one he points him to is in verse number 19. It's the incorruptible blood of Jesus Christ. But then the third great incorruptible that will never fade, decay, deteriorate, or lose its value, you find in verse 23, it's the Word of God. The very first one he focuses on I call the crown of our inheritance. Look with me in verse number 3. In the midst of all the turmoil and decay and loss, the Spirit of God says this to these vagabond believers. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Notice to what end? To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, that fadeth not away, and he adds this, reserved in heaven for you. The first great incorruptible is an incorruptible inheritance. If you're taking notes, you can write that in there. It's the crown of these believers' salvation. I like how the songwriter said it. He said, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere. Beyond the blue. And notice how this incorruptible inheritance became ours. It came through His abundant mercy. Look at verse 3. He hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. His abundant mercy hath begotten us again. That, that literally means has birthed us again, born us again. For God so loved the world. For God so loved you that He gave you His only begotten Son. If you would believe on Him, you would not perish, but instead have everlasting life. Amen. And He begot us again unto, this is interesting, what kind of hope? Verse 3 tells us it's a lively hope. It's a lively hope. You know, hope, when we use the word hope, we kind of use the word like, you know, cross the fingers and, 
you know, I don't know if this will really happen. But hope, and the Bible uses it in this context, does not mean uh, simply vague wish or positive thinking. But instead, hope here is used as an earnest expectation and certainty. It's accompanied with a sense of anticipation. Do we have any couple here that's engaged right now to be married? Anybody? All right, you're all engaged to be married, all right? And when do you hope to be married? June 1st. Now, if you talk to this couple and you say, I heard you're engaged to be married, when do you hope to be married? You understand when, when, when they answer, well, we hope to be married June 1st. Ah, uh, you know, we're hoping, we're, we're kind of, we're wishing, positive thinking, we're trying, we're hoping June 1st we'll get married. Oh, no, no, no. I watched her expression. It was lit up. We're anticipating this date. We're looking forward to this date. We're planning on it. It's as good as done. That's their attitude. Amen? That was the right answer, okay? <laughs> Listen, when you say to me, when you die, where do you hope to be? Well, I hope to be in heaven. That's not one of those, ah, you know, ah. It's like a date that is set I'm planning to be there. I'm anticipating that arrival. And everything I'm doing right now is being done with that date in mind. For the believer, our hope is not wishful thinking. It's anticipation. Because our hope is a lively hope. Wow. What sets Christianity apart from all other religions? The Hindu the Buddhist, the Muslim. What, what, what sets our faith apart from them? In a nutshell, it's the resurrection. It's the resurrection. Only we have a resurrected leader who raised himself from the dead. And if he can beat death, he can beat sin. And if he can conquer death, he can conquer your sin and pay for it as well. I love the song. I serve a risen Savior. He's in the world today. I know that he is living, whatever men may say. You know, our hope is a lively hope because the object of what we place our hope in is alive. That sets us so apart from everybody else. And because we serve a risen Savior who right now is seated in heavenly places. He's at the right hand of the Father, and he said, in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. You belong to me. And the reason I'm doing it is because where I am, there ye may be also. Do you understand the end of your salvation? The day you stepped across and trusted Christ as Savior, where he is, you're going to be also, and he's in heaven, and that's your own. It's the incorruptible inheritance you have because Jesus Christ belongs to you and you belong to Him. I wrote in my notes, in Jesus Christ, God has kept you. He's reserved you for heaven. And He has reserved and kept heaven for you. 
If time cannot change that and sin cannot defile it, and eternity cannot dim that incredible truth and the glory of that place called heaven, then you can see why Peter could so quickly dismiss their earthly plight, their temporary affliction in light of this eternal weight of glory. One preacher said it this way, after your long journey through life, believer, your heavenly Father is going to welcome you home without one inch of red tape. Without any searching for the reservation. And with an inheritance that will always be new and fresh and exciting. It will never lose its value. It will never fade away. It will last forever because it is incorruptible. I don't know what you're going through this morning. But could I say this? In light of who you have, if Jesus Christ is your Savior... All that you're going through now is nothing but a light affliction compared to the incorruptible crown of your inheritance, that place called heaven. The first great incorruptible is an incorruptible inheritance. But second of all, not only the crown of our salvation, but the cost of our salvation is noted here. Notice what makes this place called heaven possible for you and me. Notice what's said in 1 Peter 1 and verse number 18. Look with me in 1 Peter 1.18. We see the second great incorruptible. And the Bible says this, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed. The word redeemed means to be bought back, to be ransomed, to be set free. You were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. But notice the cost of our salvation. But you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Notice here we see the second great incorruptible this morning and it's the cost of our salvation. And it is the blood of Jesus Christ. What did it cost God to reconcile you to Him? It cost Him His Son. And not just any death, but a bloody death. A blood-shedding death. You know, it's interesting, we put a lot of emphasis on silver and gold in America today. But it's interesting to me that your and my salvation and our redemption here is not being valued in light of time, but eternity. Notice he says here, you weren't redeemed, you weren't purchased, your salvation wasn't paid for by corruptible things. And then he lists what we would consider very valuable items Silver and gold. Now, in this life, silver and gold might be a big deal, but do you understand on the other side, silver and gold mean nothing. In in fact, it's the asphalt they use to pave heaven. Amen? It's the stuff you walk on. And I want to remind you this morning, you cannot buy your way into heaven. And you cannot buy your way out of hell. Because it's not silver and gold that God accepts to pay for your sin. You know, it's interesting to me, and we forget this sometimes. Am I allowed to? to all right. I don't know what that does to the camera guy. I, 
you know, I had that seat, and then it's just sit here and just the um, see. I get funny like that, and I forget where I'm going. Uh, it's interesting. We forget sometimes that the owner of a business or a merchant determines what is acceptable payment. Amen. Not a few years ago, I was working with a guy who wraps Dale Earnhardt's car for NASCAR. And I was at, I had the Corvette out at a Walmart and he was there. He was talking with me. He was a combat veteran. He'd fought in the Gulf War. Lost a good buddy over there. Pretty bitter against whoever God was. He didn't know who he was. He had a newborn baby girl. We were talking for a while. He just watched me for a half an hour and then he moseyed over. He said, I got a question. He began to ask questions. It became very apparent that he really didn't like how God ran things. He kind of made it like if he was God, he'd do things differently. And he almost said that. And finally, I looked at him and I said, you want to know what your problem is? What's that? I said, you're not God. But here's your second problem. You never will be. And then here's your third one. He got here first. And he made the rules for the game of life. And you can get all angry about what he requires or doesn't and how the game of life runs. And you can take your little ball and pitch it over to another court, but you're going to pay for that forever. Could I remind you, you and I may think God accepts things for payment for sin. And we sang it, Rock of Ages. That was powerful in other songs this morning. But could I remind you, what does God accept for payment for sin? One answer, innocent blood. That's it. You say, well, I think he ought to go ahead and accept, you know, my sincerity. He doesn't. Well, I think he should. He got here first. And he said, this is what I accept for payment for sin. It's innocent blood. Listen to what Leviticus 17, 11 said. He said, the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I've given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for the soul. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. I want to remind you, whatever you have, whatever you have in your strength, Whatever commodity you value that's yours, beyond what God did for you, will never be enough to get you to heaven. It will never be enough to get you out of hell. For you don't have the one thing God's looking for. It's the sinless, innocent blood. Go back to Exodus with me, Exodus 12. I want you to see something. I suppose this morning I could ask this question. What is the world's oldest holiday? I don't know if anybody knows. It's not Christmas. Certainly not Halloween. It's the Passover. Over 3,000 years ago, this holiday was instituted that still goes to this day. Look with me in Exodus 12. The Passover is being instituted. The children of Israel are are preparing to leave the land of Egypt. Ten plagues have slammed into Egypt. Nine, and here's the tenth and final one. Notice the instructions. Exodus 12, 1. The Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, 
This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man. Take your pens out if you you have a Bible that you can write in and underline those next two words, a lamb, a lamb. Every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if the household be too little for, underline those next two words, the lamb, the lamb. Let him and his neighbor next unto his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man, according to his eating, shall make your count for the lamb. Look at verse 5. Underline these next two words, your lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year. He shall take it out from the sheep or from the goats and keep it up until the 14th day of the same month and the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. Verse 7, notice what they do with the blood from this lamb. And they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two side posts and the upper door posts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. Look in verse 12. Here's why. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night verse 12, and will smite, which means kill all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, against all the gods of Egypt that will execute judgment. God says, I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where ye are. And look at this statement. When I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. A lamb, the lamb, your lamb. What an interesting, what an in- interesting thing that's instituted here. God is about to send the final plague against Egypt to kill the firstborn in all the land of Egypt. I don't know where your birth order is, but I'm the firstborn in my family. I'm a twin, and I'm the oldest by half hour. And I never let Douglas forget that. But I could imagine watching this. Hey, Dad, what's up? He said, I want you to go, son, come with me. And he looks and he grabs a little one-year-old lamb. Had to be a male, nothing wrong. What a picture. My favorite. Dad, that's my favorite. Well, son, we're going to keep him for four days and make sure there's nothing wrong with him. No blemish, no disease. Then what, Dad? Well, I'll tell you. Four days later, I stand there in shock and horror, watch my father slit that little lamb's throat and pour the blood into a basin and take the hyssop and put it on the side post and the upper door post. I could imagine, Dad, why? Well, God said he's coming through tonight at midnight, son. The firstborn's going to die in every single house. But for any house that has the blood on the door, God said when he sees the blood, he'll pass over you and the plague will not destroy you when he comes through tonight at midnight. You know, as the firstborn right about there, in spite of the fact I love that little lamb, in spite of the fact, wow, I didn't understand everything. You know what my first thought would be? I sure hope this works. I'm the oldest. God said it, I hope this works, because if it doesn't, I'm in trouble. Amen? I could imagine about 10 to midnight, I wouldn't be sleeping. Five tail, I'd be awake. About midnight, there were no grandfather clocks, but if it was one and started chiming off the 
the 12, 12 bells, you know, all of a sudden I'd be, I'd be going, oh, oh, dad, is death going to get me tonight? And I imagine my father would have probably said something like this. No, son. Death already visited this house today. That little lamb died in your place. We sing the song, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, when I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. In the land of Egypt, God was looking for a lamb. But second of all, that lamb became the lamb. Go to Isaiah 53 with me and look at, he's personified here. It couldn't just be any old lamb. God is picturing one who's going to come. In Isaiah 53, notice what's said in verse number 3 of Isaiah 53. A lamb, but now the lamb. He's personified. Isaiah 53, 3 says, He, this person, is despised, and he's rejected of men, and he's a man of sorrows. Verse 7 of Isaiah 53, He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. Here we see the lamb personified, but then we see him identified. In John 1, 29, you don't need to turn there. John sees Jesus Christ and says these words, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. In Luke 23, we see the Lamb crucified. In Revelation, we see the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, glorified as the Lamb of God. And you say, why? Why did a Lamb have to become the Lamb, a man, Isaiah tells us, look at what's said in verse 10, Isaiah 53, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Why did this Lamb of God, this Jesus Christ, have to die for you and me? Because we didn't have the payment for sin. So God took upon him the form of a servant and became us. Tabernacled in flesh. He lived the sinless life you'll never live. He died the perfect sinless sacrifice. You will never die. And he provided you and me. He provided himself the lamb. The offering to reconcile you to a holy God. John says it. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Go back to Exodus. And notice this. In Exodus 12, in verse 3, we saw a lamb. In Exodus 12, verse 4, we saw the lamb. You know, some of you this morning, you see it. 
This is what Scripture tells us. That's the third great incorruptible. It's the Word of God. You and I would never know how to make peace with God without the Word of God. We would never dream this up in a million years. We would never understand how sinful us can be with a sinless God. And He doesn't change His nature. He stays holy. For He in His holiness must judge sin. But He in His mercy will allow someone else to take the rap for you. But whoever that someone is cannot be a sinner like you. Or the payment is rejected. There has to be a lamb. He is the lamb. And some of you here this morning know that. Some of you young people raised in a Christian home know that God requires innocent blood. And you probably even know that that perfect innocent one is Jesus Christ. You know him. You know he's the one. But he does you no good until verse 5, he becomes your lamb. Some of you here this morning know all about the lamb. But he's not yours. There's never been a day where you just dropped the reins, got sick of your sinful self, and stepped across and crumbled at Calvary. There's never been that. You, well, but you say, but you, you don't understand, preacher. Yeah, Mama knows Jesus, and Daddy knows him. That doesn't make you a believer. You know, our Heavenly Father is a very unique dad. He'll never be a grandfather. He only has children. And you have to make peace with him just like I did as an 18-year-old Marine. One-on-one. My faith found a resting place. And it transferred from me to him. And it was so obvious. I didn't believe on Jesus here. I believed on Jesus here. My daughter Kimberly was holding Bible studies up at FBT years ago on a Thursday night after school. She was third grade teacher, fourth, fourth. She called me and she said, Dad, got a young lady here. Gave me your name. I want you to pray for her. I'm holding Bible studies with her after school. I said, great. How do you want us to pray? She said, that's a funny thing, Dad. She's about 30 years old, and she knows everything about the Bible. She knows as much Bible as I do, but there's nothing about her life that she belongs to Jesus Christ. I need wisdom. So she began to hold those studies, and one Thursday she called and said, Dad, pray special tonight. I said, why is that? Because my singles director and his wife, they're going to be holding a Bible study. That will be your pastor, Miss Jessica. They're going to be holding a Bible study with this young lady. And, and I, just, I, I just sense she has a great spiritual need. And later that night, she called and said, Dad, you've got to hear this. I said, what's that? Remember tonight, the Bible study and Brother Fannin and his wife were there? Yeah. Well, you've got to hear this. She said, here we are in the study and we're going through it. And Brother Kyle is teaching the gospel and how to be saved. And the young lady finally, in anger... She slammed down her pen and she said, now wait a minute. I believe what you believe. And Kimberly said, Dad, she began to checklist. I believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, buried, rose again. 
She said, I believe what you believe, everything you believe. What makes what you believe, she challenged Pastor Kyle, what makes what you believe different than what I believe? And your pastor said with a smile, this is what Kimberly wanted me to hear. He looked at her and he said, what makes what I believe different than what you believe? Oh, he said, that's easy. What I believe changed my life. You know what he was saying? He, say, he was saying this. He wasn't just a lamb. He wasn't just the lamb. There was a day he became my lamb. And I didn't believe on him here. I believed on him here. He affected my heart. Do you understand how much our God delights in mercy? He's just poised to dole it out. But he cannot do it except through his son. This is it. This is the neck in the funnel. He, he can't just be a lamb. He can't just be the lamb. He's got to become your... The blood has to be applied to you or he does you no good. As I close, I'll never forget this moment. Our daughter, Robin, she's about 33, 34 now. I'm getting old. I forget a lot. Somewhere in there. But of all six of our children, Robin is still unmarried. And she's a catch. And we usually send a $50 gift card for their birthday with a card and, and all. But as she turned 30 a few years ago, I turned to Deb and I said, I'd like to do something special for Robin. She'd like to be married, but she's not. Hard to find good guys out there. Sorry, boys. It is. And Robin went nuclear med. And so we would always go ahead and go 50% with all our kids. I wanted them to have skin in the game after high school. They had to pay 50%. But then mom and dad would match everything. So even if it's medical doctor, I don't know how your dad will do it. We're not Rockefellers, you know, but God knows and every one of our children graduated from college and their next step, debt-free. But Robin. Nuclear med was a deeper amount. And I remember I had to ledger a few thousand dollars and carry it for her. And she was, she's working at Hope Children's Home. She's on staff there now and loves that ministry. She now works directly for the new executive director we just put in. And so I had her ledger, kept track of what she owed. And I said, you know, hon, what I'd like to do? I'd like to pay that thing off. And so I went to an office depot and I picked up a little red stamper. It's the only time I've used it. And I went ahead and copied her ledger, and I went ahead and stamped it paid and put it in her birthday card, a few thousand dollars. Now, you need to understand where I was. 
And the moment I mailed that card, I knew the joy she would receive from that was going to be absolutely immeasurable. But as I mailed the card, I think only one other person's joy was greater. It was mine because I couldn't wait for her to call me. And she opened that card and hear her say, Dad, I can't believe you did that for me. And sure enough, that cell phone rang. And I saw Robin there on her birthday, and she called. We didn't call her for her birthday. She called me for her birthday. And she said those words, Dad, I cannot believe you did that for me. I would say this. God would rather forgive your sin this morning than judge it. But if you want him to forgive your sin, you're going to have to recognize what that father did for you and step across and make application. And the day you get saved, I've never regretted that day. I didn't fully understand and comprehend everything as a young Marine. But I knew my faith had found a resting place in someone way beyond me. And I knew my sin debt was paid. And I didn't see it in heaven. And I was rejoicing that Monday night when I got saved. But I'll guarantee you there was rejoicing in heaven as well. For our God delights in mercy. What can wash away my sin? What can make me whole again? Ah, there came a day where the Lamb became my Lamb. And I want to ask you, is that huge sin account that's yours, is it paid in full? Our God delights in mercy, but He's still holy. You will never change His nature. He's unchanging, but He wants to change yours. And He wants to pay the debt in full. Our salvation was conceived in eternity purchased at Calvary, applied individually through faith in God's Word, that third great incorruptible. And if you'll trust Christ as Savior, you have God's Word on it, that He will cleanse you from all your sin. The Lamb will become your Lamb. Let's pray. Father, we thank You this morning for this incredible...